0: You're listening to Trek FM.
1: There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it.
2: (laughs) I was there more times than I can remember. Welcome everyone to Trek FM's local watering hole, where the hosts from the network and friends trot by and we talk all things geeky. I hope you've ordered a drink from Ruby and grabbed your chair. I'm your host Matthew Rushing and joining me today are Darren Moser from our show Earl Grey. How are you doing today, Darren?
0: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on.
2: Well, I'm excited to have you here in the in the 602 club. Uh we're not going to be talking about a Star Trek episode, Darren. So so don't get don't get freaked out, okay?
0: It's all right. You know, I have I've spent a lot of time in uh, 10 Forward, so the 602 club's a nice uh, a nice change of pace.
2: Oh, good, good. We don't have a in here, but Ruby really does make the best old fashions you've ever had. So have her make you up one of those. Awesome. And Norm Lau is back with us. That's right. Our associate producer is back in house. How's it going, Norm?
1: Very good. Thank you very much. I I put my order in with Ruby. I asked her to surprise me, and she brought me back something green. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or not.
2: You know, I I, I hear that there is a, a, a Scottish engineer who really enjoys green alcoholic beverages so i'd be careful with that one we don't need you slurring during the show
1: well not at least right now
2: yeah later later Uh, you know on the other side of the door so the
1: 602 club the dark times
2: that's right 602 club after hours there you go that's right well for this show we're going to be talking about marvel's agents of shield One of the things that has been really interesting has been just the proliferation of comic book TV. I mean, it was Smallville all those years ago, you know, Heroes as well existed, and now it's just exploded. Uh, Arrow has been on for three years now, and then of course we've gotten Flash, Gotham, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., we're going to get Supergirl down the line, we've got Constantine as well, we're even going to be getting Greg Berlanti who's given us Arrow and Flash and Supergirl, he's also going to be giving us Archie comics soon on TV, so goodness who knows what's coming next I'm just waiting for Crypto the Superdog to get his own (laughs) series
0: (laughs) That'd be sponsored by uh, Canine Crunchies
2: Canine Crunchies can't be (laughs) beat I still know that whole song so one of the things that's really set Marvel apart from its counterparts, DC on television, is that Marvel's TV universe has a connection with the movie universe. They're one in the same. So I kind of wanted to just start the show off, guys, by talking about how that works. You know, it can be a really good thing or it can be a really bad thing. In fact, right now, Star Wars is doing the exact same thing where their entire universe is going to be all in one. You're going to get the books, you're going to get the comics, you're going to get the TV shows, and you're going to get the movies and the standalone films. They're all going to be one big, huge bundle of hopeful awesomeness. That's that's what we're hoping for. But let's talk about this, especially in reference to Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Has it been a good thing? Has it been a bad thing? Norm, what do you think?
1: I guess Marvel really has to anticipate and budget their fans' expectations when it comes to crossing over the somatic universe feel and look in epic scope to, well, for all intents and purposes, a smaller screen. Because you can do things, you can have these grander stories with grander budgets and bigger actors and bigger expectations than you do with TV. But at the same time, TV has the opportunity to tell a longer form story, which can be either a blessing or a curse, because you may have to stay on the rails, if you will, when it comes to storytelling. Um, and that, I think, it right now is plaguing Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. a little bit because they don't have the freedom to explore different territory, and I think that they have to maintain a certain storytelling momentum that will lead them into this 2015 summer you know, blockbuster event, which will tie in the movies back into the TV show and vice versa.
2: So, Ant Man is really going to tie in, you think, to the Agents of Shield universe?
1: Well, I didn't. Ant Man have some type of uh, hint towards the Agent Carter era of the Agents of the Shield universe?
2: You know, I I don't actually remember. Um, I just I just know that you know Ant Man obviously wasn't talked about at all in their latest you know uh, big hullabaloo not a mention of ant-man i feel like it's that movie that they just wish never existed at this point it it probably and and it could be their greatest hit who knows it could be it could turn out to be their yesterday's enterprise which i think they're probably hoping at this point
1: Mm, i'm not sure about that but well you know because yesterday's enterprise is that good but we'll see again you know where we you've asked this question before about trying to you know manage expectations when it comes to um the releases and all of the information that gets pretty much thrown up in social media all at once i mean what i mean by thrown up it means you know relayed in a such a quick and very quick uh fast and digestible way but until it's on screen and until we see the big picture, we really don't know aside from speculation what to manage for our own expectations so again it it could be great, it could be mediocre, but as of right now as it as it applies to what agents of Shield is doing now, they need to step their game up against d c because d c is on fire with their shows, and I think that Marvel knows it, so they have to make some course corrections here, I think
0: what do you think, Darren? Well, when you were listing all of the shows, you know, that have come out in recent years, I I kept thinking back to, you know, my childhood where Marvel was on TV a lot, but it was all animated. You had, you know, Spider-Man and, I mean, yes, it wasn't just Marvel. You had had DC animation as well, but it's interesting because that was much, I mean, continuity was not a factor. It was basically, we're going to tell our own stories. We're going to introduce our own characters if we need to. But now uh, it's almost as if the culture as a whole has reached, a, at least hopefully reached, a new level of just awareness. So if you are trying to tie something from a TV show to a movie, you know, people can get that. I mean, yes, you have to kind of give them the, the, double, the double standard of, you know, boxing things in a movie without referencing everything in the show or vice versa so that you don't have to have watched both. But, you know, people are intelligent, you know, people, uh, can, if they are really invested in something, will want to seek out anything and everything involved. So, uh, yeah, but with agents of shield, you know, through it's, it's two seasons that it's been, you know, having so far, I think it's really taken that premise of we're going to tie into the films, uh, to a new level that we haven't seen because the reaction we get from people is faster. Like you were saying that barrage, uh, and you know, you couldn't really make a movie or sorry, you couldn't really make a series like agents of Shield tie in without this, you know, phase three coming down the pipe, you know, you need, you know, a lot of successive films because otherwise if let's say you were having a movie every year like instead of two well are you really think are you hoping that agents of shield is going to stay on the air for 5 years to to be able to hit some of these points you you need to have a really aggressive release schedule which marvel does so i i think they can pull it off and it'll be really interesting to see just how well they they tie it all together in their universe
1: you know the interesting thing about Disney owning all of these properties is sometimes I feel that because they're backed by the same financial program, if you will, that they don't really have to try nearly as hard sometimes because they know that they're going to be funded anyway. Hmm. Because they can't afford... Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. can't afford to be taken off the air if they're going to be using that as the bridge point between all these different movies. So it's not like they have to try as hard, I'm not saying that they shouldn't, but I don't think they need to push the envelope as hard because their ratings are going to hit a certain number because their viewers are going to see whether or not they're going to be tying in as strongly into the cinematic universe. But it's not like they're fighting for new viewers. They've already captured the viewers within the movies. This is just a bounce back to the movies, really. It doesn't really fight... To stand alone as an independent project like arrow does or like flash does so maybe the reason why agents of shield feels a little vanilla sometimes is because they don't have to jockey for those ratings as hard
2: well i think that that is something that is really symptomatic of i i think a, a bad creative problem if you're not being tested You're not gonna be pushed to be the best you can be, and I think Marvel really learned they can't just stick their name on something and expect it to have big ratings. Because Agents of Shield doesn't have great ratings. Even with some of the things that have happened in season two, they've still had pretty dismal ratings. on, On on a you know, when you look at it, the whole thing, it's just like this. This you would think this would be doing better. For the quality of of so many of the Marvel films, I I think I'm on the other side of of that spectrum where there are more films for me in Marvel that haven't worked than most people. But you know, on a whole, I mean, I've liked your Iron Mans and I've enjoyed the Avengers and enjoyed the Captain America films. Thought they were great. And so you've got me through a lot of the things that kind of lead to Shield. I just wanted that show to be that same kind of quality that I expected from, say, an Iron Man film or from a Captain America film, especially with Captain America since he has had such a big impact on the show itself, even though he's never even been in the show. Um, But he and his actions have had a huge impact. And one of the things that I think that uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. has had a symptomatic problem from the beginning and I think you nailed it, Norm, is that they have been very vanilla. It's been serviceable, but not great. And, and that's a really big problem for me. And I, I, I still watch the show, but the main problem for me has been it's, it's not must-see TV. Like, I'm frustrated right now because I know that I won't be finished recording this in time to be able to watch Flash tonight. That's frustrating for me. Agents of Shield is on tonight as well, and I'll get to it when I get to it, it you know. And and I think that's that's not what you want to have, and that's happened for a lot of people who who just, especially I think with that first season, they kind of dropped out. And one of the big things was is that they came in kind of expecting this to to be the same quality and what they were expecting from the films. They didn't get that, and they just kind of left before there was a big change in that first season. And they were hampered by the pacing of the storytelling. They were hampered by everything that they had to wait for because of the movies that they couldn't even really talk about because they would have given away a big secret for the film. And that's where that continuity actually harmed the show instead of helped the show. Now it's helping the show, I think, because we've gotten past that. But it almost seems like, to me, it it would have been better to not have Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on the air at all until after... Winter Soldier, and then it would have been great to have a show um, because then you would have been dealing with the aftermath of that instead of the reverse where we're trying to set up these characters and all these things, but it's like kind of vanilla. It's kind of boring. I'm not really enjoying anything, and, and nothing really is happening on the show until that big event happened in the movie, and oh, oh, now we can do something on our show, and that's where continuity, I think, can really hurt when you're not giving your show the freedom to to use all the toys in the toy box you know that's what dc is doing with its shows it's going hey have all the toys you know what even you flash you know what because we're going to do our own movie at flash so you don't even have to worry about it
0: you won't be the flash but we'll be making a movie of Flash.
2: (laughs) Right. We'll just be that alternate version of Flash, maybe. Who knows? Because with DC, you also have the multiverse, so it could completely make sense. Even on TV and on the film, you can make that work, but opening your creatives up and letting them have all the tools in the toolbox, and even some they didn't even know they were going to get, I think really changes everything. And I think we see this in Star Trek as well, because the creatives on Deep Space Nine invented tools that Star Trek didn't even know it had. And then you look at what Voyager did and they were hampered again by a studio system that started to, to get more heavy handed because it was their flagship show. And so continuity can be a, a really big blessing, but it can also be a huge curse.
1: Well, I mean, it really depends on, for me, it depends on how visionary the writing is at the get go um you brought up actually two really good points matthew because when when agents of shield was tied into captain america that's when agents of shield was at its best i actually think that and i agree with you i think that it would have been fantastic to see to have seen agents of shield launch after captain america because that would have splintered everything and i think the shield team would have had more of a purpose to try and clean up everything after the aftermath that would have been a a much more dynamic starting point for them rather than trying to figure out the either the, um, the alien artifact of the week or the hero power of the week or the Hydra scheme of the week. At the beginning, probably first third of S.H.I.E.L.D., it was really kind of trying to find its footing. And one of the things that was really disconcerting is that from a... I know that Joss Whedon wasn't directly involved in a lot of the writing. He was more in the executive producer seat. But you expect more from an ensemble cast... And from right out of the gate, writing style, power, explosive, you know, very dynamic and kinetic type of storytelling from a John Sweden camp, you know, I mean, you, you were talking about the team that brought you Firefly and even, you know, Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog, it still had that type of just, oh, yes. yeah, it just shoots you right out of the gate and, ha- and it takes risks really early until Captain America came along it did dabble a little bit with Thor, the Dark World, when they started bringing in a little bit more crossover. But until Captain America came along, you didn't really feel that S.H.I.E.L.D. was going anywhere. It didn't have a kind of a forward momentum. It was very much in the middle of multiple storytelling. Um, this is the team that brought you Firefly. And Firefly, by and large, just, you know, it right out of the gate, it had a lot of power. It had a lot of dynamic risk-taking in its writing. It had a lot of ha huh, moments. And that's what you would expect from any Whedon associated with a project, any, any writer or director or producer named Whedon associated with a project. So I think there was a little bit of disappointment there when Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. wasn't just, wow, because it was, again, it was Joss Whedon back on TV in some capacity. And it wasn't it wasn't the same quality that you would expect from that brand name
0: yeah i I agree with what you said about that jot sweeten aspect because you were talking about tonight matt of oh i'll get around to agents of shield you know when it when i can whereas with firefly i mean that was when's it on again when can i watch it again like I, i you know the the singular unfortunately season that we got but and while i I do agree to a point with with the the points you guys are making as far as when agents of Shield could have started with the events of Winter Soldier, but I actually don't really mind the path it ended up taking. Yes, it it didn't have as strong of a of a first season, and I was one of those dropout viewers where I got about six to eight episodes in and then kind of took a break for a week and then that became 2 and then that became 3 and then oh something's happening at the finale let's jump back in and and see it pick back up and oh the season's going to pick off and or and then we see you know the winter soldier in theaters and go okay what is going to happen this week because they didn't really i mean they did tease it but they didn't tease it until pretty much right when the movie was coming out so I kind of enjoyed the buildup of let's set this baseline of kind of, you know, it was almost better that it was mundane that, Oh, you know, being an agent of shields kind of, you know, it's interesting. And we go find the MacGuffin of the week and, you know, do this and that. But then that made the twist, I think much more powerful because everything got turned on its head. Whereas if you hadn't seen the normal state I don't think you would have felt that turn as powerful. I think it still would have been, you know, from what we've seen in the movies of Shield, we would have known it had. Yes, this is different, but I, I enjoyed that A side, B side, that flip we got.
1: Yeah, that's actually an interesting point. I didn't really think about it that way because the the first time you really saw kind of like the upper echelon of Shield agents. I mean, aside from Coulson, because Coulson is the thread that of the of the first cinematic phase. Was when you saw them in the Avengers, you know, your Maria Hills and, you know, all of the really cool-looking, well-equipped, well-groomed, um, you know, the the Shield agents that were flying, you know, the the carrier and the Quinjets. Those were the Shield agents that they have like the the A job, you know. They have like uh, they have, you know, the 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 most polished uh, they're probably like the the, the best trained uh, that's what we would assume because they were you know they were hovering around all of the avengers and and fury on his private boat what about the ground troops what about the behind the scenes kind of like the it's like like get smart paper pushers you know? I mean, get smart
0: right. focuses so much on the analysts and the the background characters and that's what makes it that's what made it fun it wasn't the agents in the field it was you know it's marvel's Uh, analysts of shield is almost the title
1: paper pushers of shield (laughs) you know
2: well and and i i like what you're saying darren because that does make me think about it differently unfortunately i i also don't think it works in the tv landscape we have now i mean you referenced firefly which so many people liked i didn't and we'll talk about that on a future episode of the 602 club But I think what happens is is that on TV, unfortunately now, shows usually aren't given time to get better. Just doesn't happen. And Norm, what you talked about with this being a Marvel property and a Disney property, which owns ABC, means that this is going to be given some time. Hopefully, and, and, and my sincere hope is because I still watch the show, I want it to be better. And I want it to get better and continue to get better and it has it's trending up but it's, it, 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 it it has it, potential it, it is it is trending on you know maybe 0. 0.3 you know grade there on the upward slope so that's good but I, I think it just still has you know because of these these issues that they've had because they almost had to have a, a soft reboot on the show. You know, it's almost like this season, the second season is really the first season. And they're having to kind of rebuild the show again, which is great that they're getting an opportunity to actually do that. And so it's it's nice to see because that doesn't happen on TV much.
0: You just maybe think of a, of a great parallel would be Battlestar Galactica, where they had the miniseries that kicked off the show and this, I think, is a very similar case where if they had had a series, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which I think we all would have watched, especially with how the movies were doing, and then kicked off what we see in season two, that might have been a better formula. You, you don't have to construct it around as much of a weekly schedule. It's more of a mini movie that's just chopped up into about, you know, six to eight pieces.
2: Why aren't we writing for television because seriously, that is a fantastic idea, Darren. I think you're so too you busy just, podcasting. <laughs> you just fixed their problem, though. You've created the miniseries and you can have like a six episode miniseries, kind of give it a BBC feel. Get into the, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and then have that movie come out and be like, oh, yeah, now we're dropping the rest of the show on you. Like, that's a fantastic idea. I love it. I wish that they had done that because I think it would have been so much more successful as a series because you would have felt like it was building somewhere. In fact, use that mini series to introduce us not only to the characters but have them play into one of the movies. So like if you've been watching this mini series, it plays into, you know, Thor, the Dark World or whatever that crappy movie was. And then, you know, then have them show back up after what happened in, in Captain America too, because th- that's where S.H.I.E.L.D. falls apart. And and we already do have a great setup because they've done a great job of showing us what S.H.I.E.L.D. does in the films. I mean, th- they've done a good job of that. So it's not as though they couldn't have then introduced us to a show afterwards with that. I Man, what a great idea, Darren. I wish Hollywood was paying attention to you.
1: You know, the funny thing that what you guys have just discussed just described was taking all the filler away from a 22 episode season because that's really what. Oh God! Yes. Are, yeah, you know, I mean, there were really good high points again surrounding probably the episode or two before a cinematic event and then after. Everything else is kind of like or trying or to lay guest down star. some groundwork, you know, or yeah, or a guest star like Sif. Um, but that's she, yeah, she can guest
2: star whenever she wants.
1: Well, yeah, you know, so. Wait, you can't say that too loud, or Ruby won't serve us any more drinks. <laughs> that's true. <Yeah>. Sorry, man. <laughs> so, um, no, that's but, true. You know, but it, it is. It, it was the economy of writing that would have sharpened up a lot of the focus on the characters and on and how they related to the cinematic events. Would have been really on point with three about two now two and a half hour you know miniseries movies, and I think that's where Agent Carter is probably going to outstrip. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because she's going to be on for a limited amount of time and I think they're going to make the most of it because I think they want to get back that that sense of really cool retro espionage flavor you know that's going on with you know uh, with S.H.I.E.L.D. and the growth of S.H.I.E.L.D. at the time. I thought one of the coolest scenes in Captain America is when they went and found the original S.H.I.E.L.D. base. Yes. When I saw that the rest of the movie almost melted away and I said, I want to see this. Yeah. And I think a lot of fans felt the same way.
2: Well, let's jump into that because a lot like Smallville, this show kind of has a rule, you know, on Smallville it was no tights, no flights on this show. It's no heroes, just agents. There's no superheroes. There's no Iron Man's. There's no Captain America's. It's, it's just these normal everyday people kind of picking up the pieces. At least that's what it was in the first season. From these metahumans running around, and then of course uh, you've got your, um, you know, just your Iron Man's technical wizards creating, you know, body armor for everyone too. So we get, you know, you you said it, Norm. We had Coulson, who's the thread of, of that, you know, cinematic universe. We see him in all the films. Uh, then they introduced us to Agent May, introduced us to the character of Skye, Fitz, and Simmons. Uh, you got Ward. Uh, and now we have characters like Tippett and Lance, Hunter and Mac, and of course Bobby, all working back in together in the show. Talk to me about some of the characters here from first, second season. What are some of the characters that you guys have really liked? And maybe what are some of the characters that haven't worked for you, maybe still don't work for you? Well, what what have you felt about the, these characters, especially in relation to the idea that you know we have... Had this connection with the cinematic universe and those characters pop off the screen most of the time unless you're Thor and then you're a boar um and so you you get these characters how does that because we're playing all in the same sandbox how does that work for you what about you Darren
0: well the first instance that comes to mind was when agents of Shield premiered and the character Sky came on the screen and It's funny because she has an uncanny resemblance to my sister-in-law. And in those first few episodes, that kind of, you know, I'm a hacker and I'm going to do what I want. And even like her mannerisms, I was like, wow, my sister-in-law is in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But, you know, besides that point that only affects me, uh, you know, her character (laughs) has been, you know, really interesting, especially now in season two as they've you know made her a shield agent for a day and and progressed her more and she was obviously the uh the the stand-in to be us the audience you know she's experiencing everything for the first time and we're to observe it you know through her she's like why are you doing it this way you know or why are you doing it this way and it's like you people are stupid you know and so she was an interesting character uh, that I think was well cast. I think you know that the actress plays uh, plays her really well. Um, but uh, I'll, here I'll, I'll, I'll go with one at a time. So uh, what's what's uh, your first one, Norman?
1: I'm I'm on board with you about uh, well Chloe Bennett who plays Sky. I think that she was cast right, and I think that she f- she fit the the Whedon writing sensibility really well, and her timing was is great with their dialogue and their writing. Uh, for me. Um, it's a two-parter because I've always been a fan when Joss Whedon writes characters like Fitz and Simmons Hmm. because they are by and large at the start, almost wallpaper. They're the, they're really behind the scenes and they have some shining moments, but from the beginning of the season, season one to the end of the season, I found that their arc was the most compelling, not only separately, but together. And, How they are written now, it's one of those heartbreaking type of um, stories because they had to become these high-risk, upfront, frontline fighter agents where it took them right out of their element and it, uh, it challenged them as characters to grow. And I think the writers did a really good job with those two because... They had to, again, work independently and work together to really pull off how good um, how good the actors were able to bring those performances to the screen.
0: Well, and how many times, you know, is the genesis of a show like this? Oh, look, we're getting the team together. And these are people that have never actually worked together. But that particular, you know, that was a friendship. That was a working colleague relationship. And that was a nice something new of okay these people already know each other they work well together let's watch this pair and see how they react to the situations that were being thrown at each week and it was a nice change of pace
1: well you know it also it wasn't this whole unrequited dynamic they they genuinely respected each other's abilities and they genuinely respected each other as people because they were for by and large they were competitors in the scientific field especially trying to ascend the uh, the scientific ladders of S.H.I.E.L.D. And it pushed them. It pushed their abilities. But then you have those really nice moments where she knows everything that he likes on a sandwich. Or he knows exactly what type of music she would like or something that would calm her in a situation where she was going undercover. The- that goes beyond friendship, but it's not necessarily in the in the dynamic of, of being future lovers, if you will. It's just they genuinely like being together because they complete each other in a way that that doesn't have to be romantic. Yeah. It's okay Although to it, care it, it, without you know, being romantic. Right.
0: Well, and I,
2: for me, those are the characters that, that seem like the heart of the show. When I've come back, even you know, from season one to season two, you know, the way that they had built out Fitz and Simmons, I I really genuinely enjoyed and liked every time they were on screen. To me, it was always a highlight when they were on screen, especially when they were bantering back and forth with their tech talk and they were getting really excited. It was it was just fantastic. Um, I, I really enjoy having them as more main characters now than they are the wallpaper that... They have given them so much more to do in season two, and I've really appreciated that because I think they're some of the stronger characters on the show. One of the things that's been frustrating to see is the way that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. really draws out storylines, and it, it takes way too long for things to happen. The, the fact that this Sky storyline is still going on with who her dad is, and we finally know who her dad is, and now her dad might be an alien or something like that, and maybe she's still an alien. It's just, you know, on Arrow, this would have been solved in like three episodes already, or Not it would have seasons. been done the first season. <laughs> but yeah, the fact that we're still in this, we're in the second season, and we still are having these same questions is frustrating because it it feels like an old style of storytelling. And one of the great articles recently that's come out is that again DC understands comic book shows need to mirror comic books which means big things need to happen each episode and storylines don't get dragged out forever even if you have a year run like say you're going to do a really big series in your comic book like a you know like DC right now is doing their uh, futures end series it's a year long series you know they have so many issues then they have to plot out and make sure everything works right and that you get enough so you feel like you invested the 299 or 399 that a comic is well. You know, I I you said this perfectly, Norm. It just feels like so much time there's too many filler episodes in, you know, Agents of Shield. And that hurts the characters as well because their storylines aren't progressing at a better pace and so and it's it just kind of hurts those that character growth that you're hoping to see sky's really grown as a character over the show and yet these secrets hanging over her head still all the time just downplay in some ways the fact that she's the impossible girl basically from she's Doctor the Who. river and, song Exactly. We're just waiting for her, you know, big reveal to come and who knows when it'll come. Is it going to be season three? Is it going to be season 12? I don't know. It's, um, it, it's sad to think that a, a character's arc hinges on just this kind of one big secret thing in the same way that like Coulson being brought back to life. we that was a whole season arc. Okay. We get, we, we finished the season and we, we know what happened. Fantastic. Way to go then that's what should happen you know i shouldn't have to wait three or four seasons this isn't a soap opera you know this is a this is a all my
0: skies Mm -hmm. uh, yeah (laughs) so
2: everybody uh,
1: comes to skies
2: that's right
1: well you know matthew just to jump in here there's there's the quality of the show which i think is very high I think they do a great job with the production aspect of the show, and I think the acting's very good. I think what the real issue here is being able to juggle an A-line, B-line plot so that the filler episodes are filler, but they do produce some meaning. I mean, there are plenty of series out there that they can continue a really, really strong A-line, have peaks and valleys in the A-line, but the the, the, B-line, the story that ties in all of the cinematic elements continues to run it's the pulse uh, that which you direct back to the feature films but the a-line really needs to focus on character character development relationships how the characters are taking risks whether or not you need to turn a character as they did with ward which i thought was a very smart move but at the same time really deft Highly skilled writing, and they are skilled writers, but not at the level of quality, say, that we are accustomed to with a, again, a Whedon level of talent. They really haven't brought that to bear when it comes to diverging the audience's attention between two different plot lines that could eventually emerge into rising to the cinematic universe and cresting the characters at the same time so that everything crescendos to these huge moments that the, the audiences will just devour if done right. Well,
2: and I think we've really been spoiled with Arrow because the A storyline and the B storyline always have something to do with everything that's happening. Mm-hmm. It, 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 and it's hard on Arrow because you're telling a, a flashback story with a forward story, and they have to coincide and, and be working towards the same points, you know, throughout... to to make the history of the show, which I think is really, really hard to do. And yet they're not, again, wasting any time, you know. And that's what I would love to see Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. do. That's fine. You Have A, B, C storylines, but all of them need to have something to do with the, the driving point of the season. And I think, you know, that's the thing, again, that I like about Arrow, is that it has a... It has a focus. Each season has a focus. There, there's a driving force behind each season. I need to feel that with S.H.I.E.L.D. as well. I need to feel that focus, that laser-like focus that needs to happen. Because again, in, in, in comic books, you can't have it too many throwaway comics or else the storylines, nobody's going to buy it. So we need to do that as well with our sh- our comic book TV shows, which is a little bit harder than writing, I think, for just a normal TV show because we're having this very serialized, continuity-driven type of show. So what do you guys think of, uh, you know, we, we've had Coulson in the films and now we brought him over to the TV show. What have you thought about his character, his de- character development?
0: No, I really, I really like Agent Coulson. I really like the beeline of him and Agent May and like, you know, they have a history, but they don't, it's, it's kind of the similar to, you know, Natasha and, and, um, Clint. Is it Clint? Hawk? Clint Barton? Yeah.
1: Hawkeye, yeah. yeah.
0: It's kind of similar to, you know, Black Widow and Hawkeye where, you know, they're like, Oh, you know, don't you remember, you know, Budapest, <laughs> you know? And it's like, they're like, tell us, tell us what that's about. Whereas we know there's been awesome stuff going on between, agent, you know, may and agent Colson, but we don't necessarily have to see it. We see it in their interaction and their subtlety. And that's, I think presented very well. So I, I think they're smart enough to know you need to put a good team around Colson. I mean, he's, he's a great character, but he's a background character. If, if you want to elevate him to, I mean, even the director level he's at now, you need a strong enough team to to buy that. Otherwise you can't just plop him into his own, you know, story and be like, oh, now we're gonna watch the adventures of Agent Colson. I mean, that that's not gonna resonate as well.
1: You know, going back to and I I I always compare someone as strong as Joss Whedon to his previous work. And when you have a leader on a team like Colson is to the Agents of Shield team, I have to compare the strength of that central character, that leadership character, to teams that Whedon has crafted before. Buffy being the center of that team, Angel being the center of his team, respectively, Mal being the center of the Firefly team. I don't feel that Coulson grounds at the center of that team the way that those other characters that I've mentioned have. Coulson, by and large, was a really good foil and comedic relief throughout the course of the cinematic films. Every time he came on screen, yes, he was memorable. Mostly because he had something very important to do at that one particular time, or he was ridiculously funny because everything else was so serious. He was that...
0: He's that take a breath.
1: Yeah, he was the pause. He was the palate cleanser. He was the, okay, everyone put everything back into perspective because he he saw things in the character of Coulson as in a certain perspective. That was his job. And now when he's the leader of this team... And because it's smaller TV, it's a smaller screen, I think that you need something in that leadership role that is so dynamic that all of the other agents are really drawn to him. And that, by and large, the audience is drawn to him. But the Tahiti line, I thought it was going to do that, didn't really kind of pan out that way. I find, again, the Fitz and the Simmons and the triplets and the... Max and all of the other kind of side characters a little bit more interesting because when they do things, they do things more interestingly than Coulson does because Coulson is very consistent. He's consistently Coulson. Maybe sometimes may pulls a little bit out of him, but yeah, by and large, Clark Gregg is a great actor, but he's consistently Coulson and Coulson as a leader sometimes needs to push himself a little further when it comes to his emotional range. And I don't really get that out of him. But that again, that's not really who Colson is.
2: Yeah, I, I get that too in the sense that I can see what you're saying. For me, I've had a little bit different reaction in that he's one of the reasons that I keep coming back to the show because I find him funny and I enjoy his performance. And so he's kept me wanting to come back. And yet, like you, I have gravitated more towards the, the Fitz, the Simmons, um, and I, I think those are the characters that I really enjoy the most, honestly, on the show. Now we've gotten kind of as some new characters. Uh, we had Triplet kind of join later last season with season one. We've got Lance Hunter now, who's, I think, really funny. I really enjoy his portrayal. I've enjoyed Mac and him getting to know Fitz. Yeah, I really and like and Mac. Be that, yeah, that foil for, for Fitz and kind of helping him find a way to get better. And uh, then we've just added Bobby, who is who is Mockingbird. And I'm hoping to see more of her fantastic, you know, um, she was actually going to be Wonder Woman in a in a pilot I hear was so dismal, you never want to see it. Uh, David, David E. Kelly's Wonder Woman. So I'm glad that she's on uh, a show that is a comic book show and is actually going to be around for a while. Unlike Lucy Lawless, who we used one and... She may not be done, but she went pretty quick.
0: <laughs> I know. I was kind of surprised about that. I'm like, oh, look, this is uh, Lucy Lawless. You know, I've seen her. And so, and then, oh, oh, well, I guess I shouldn't get attached to uh, that character as she died in a car
1: accident. <laughs> but I don't know. Maybe it was the kind of the production cynic in me where where I, I dropped the veil of what I'm watching versus what logically I would expect from a contract that Lu- Lucy Lawless would sign with Disney. Cause I don't think that someone of her caliber would be, I'm only on for one episode. Really? I think that she would probably negotiated a couple more. Maybe she might pop into the agent Carter story. I don't know, which be kind of interesting. She fell through time. <laughs> exactly. So, um, but I do like the new characters that they introduced. I think it would have been neat for triplet to have absorbed max, role with Fitz because Triplet spent a lot of time with Simmons during the whole Hydra shield storyline. I mean, it, she was actually fearful of him at one point in time because she wasn't sure if he would have turned into Hydra and he got her out of there. So there was a nice relationship there where maybe she confided in him off screen to a couple of things that he would have been able to use to help Fitz heal. So I... With, with Mac in there, I don't, I don't begrudge the actor. I think he's doing a good job. But I really liked where they were going with Triplet and how he bounced back to being related to one of the original Howling Commandos. And they could have probably spun that up into an Agent Carter relationship back and forth from the past to the present. Because he did have that really cool box of toys at the end that helped them get out of Hydra- you know, situations where they were using old school tech. I thought that was really neat and he was a huge part of that. So again, it's it's hard to introduce a lot of new characters without losing focus on the characters that you're really bringing up. And then all of a sudden you need to start focusing on writing for substantially for all of them uh, by and large.
2: I think you're right. The problem right now with S.H.I.E.L.D. 2 is that they've been introducing us to a lot of characters and they, they need to give us a reason for them to be there so that I want to get to know them. And that's another thing that you have to do in a, in a comic book show, I think, is not have extraneous characters that don't mean anything because you don't have time for that. You already have enough story items to be worrying about. You don't need to be worrying about Okay, how do I fit in triplet? Because we've got Mac and we've got, you know, Lance Hunter and Bobby now. And and then, of course, we still have Ward, Simmons, Fitz, you know, Sky, May and Coulson. How do I get everybody to have some screen time? You know, you you just can't do that. And and we talked about Norm when we were talking about Gotham, that idea. You don't need to have everybody in every episode. You need Mm -hmm. to figure out who you need in that episode and you just need to go with it. Gotham actually has started to do that. In fact, I, this last week's episode was fantastic because it was laser-like focused on the characters that needed to be in. There wasn't anybody in extraneous in the episode. S.H.I.E.L.D. needs to learn how to do that. And I think the difference between you know season one and season two is that big change that we had happen. They dropped the bomb in Winter Soldier, one of the best comic book movies of all time. And gave us a, a really interesting story then for S.H.I.E.L.D. to have to grapple with.
0: The fallout. But
2: I think, yeah, the fallout of that with what happens with S.H.I.E.L.D. But I still think that the show is having a real pacing issue. It, it's having a hard time finding out what needs to be its pace and and how quick we need to tell stories.
0: Yeah, the way I visualize S.H.I.E.L.D.'s pace is it, it's almost, I mean, we we're so happy that it's tying into these movies. Cause Oh look, a TV show that ties into the movies, but that's also its greatest crutch. I mean, you look at a, a like we've talked about other Josh Wheaton projects as well. You know, I'll just, Firefly because we've said it before, but Firefly was just doing its thing. It's like this is the story I'm going to tell. This is the direction I'm going. Whereas Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., it's like it's running this marathon, but every five minutes it has to look over to see its running partner the movies. Where are they? Are they Squirrel. are they farther up ahead of me? Or did they fall back a little bit? Okay, I gotta pace myself back a little bit and let them catch up. And that's what it feels like. Like they're trying to keep pace with a marathon runner and it's, you can do that. That's not impossible, but it is hampering the, this is the agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. story. You know, That's they don't actually have a story in, in some way. They are the B-plot to the movies, which hasn't really been done at this level, which, so it's an interesting experiment.
1: And I agree. I mean, they that is the perfect way of putting it. They are the B-plot to the movies, but they also have to have their own identity because without that, why would you want why would you care i mean you care that captain america has his own story you care that thor has his own story you care that the avengers have their own story but the agents of shield you don't really care so much right now about who they are why they are what are they doing what's their purpose what's their mission statement really as as a team i mean right now it's just to survive the aftermath of the uh the, the the dissolving of shield in in the in the rise of hydra of which the show is replete with giant stickers of hydra everywhere like we don't i'm sorry that's i'm i'm have gonna you, get on a have you seen that branding
0: like hydra branding guide you know as if like something you'd send out to a to an artist like well okay if you're if you're gonna be designing a crate for hydra you need to make sure it's the full logo in these colors but not over these colors with this font, and yeah, it's it's a little over the top sometimes.
1: Yeah, so, and Matthew, I've actually I mentioned to this to you this earlier. In doing so, you run the risk of not figuring out what kind of message you want to put out to your audience. Do you want this to be campy, or do you want this to be serious? Because they do serious really well. They have all the tack teams look fantastic. They have all the combat coordination and fight sequences are up to par with all of the movie stunt work. But then, in the same breath, you'll turn around and it is the graphics standard of Hydra that's staring you right in the face with their clipboards and their belt buckles and their giant 12-foot wall clings that make you not forget that you're in the Hydra lab doing ridiculously terrible things it's you know it it's it kind of like uh, harkens all the way back to specter you know or smursh you know in the uh in the James Bond world you know everyone's wearing a you know a, a hydra ring you know hail hydra you know and they'll flash their ring at you that's not the world that this agents of shield should be populated in this should be very clandestine and very serious but they really haven't embraced that part of the storytelling, the way that Hydra was in The Winter Soldier, that was very serious. It was very cutthroat. They were they meant business because business had to get taken care of in order to protect the world. And I just really haven't felt that gravitas, that seriousness in the storytelling, because again, when you do ninety-nine point nine percent of it well, that last point one percent can really take the legs out of the seriousness of the tone. And where that's where Arrow and Flash, by and large, one's very serious and one's very comical, but they embrace that to the nth degree because that's the story they need to tell. That's the identity that they need to forge. And until Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. decides what type of story they want to be, then they're just going to fluctuate between, am I going to service this tie-in or that tie-in? That's the way I see it.
2: Well, they're definitely having mood swings and that's been a problem because so have the marvel films had their own mood swings and we've made a a sharp course correction now you know uh everybody said oh man you know man of steel is so dour and so serious why so serious you know uh and and now we we've got you know Age of Ultron about to come out, and all the heroes are falling down and crying, and it's the worst day ever. You know, um, the very bad, not so good, horrible, rotten day of Ultron. <laughs> exactly of Ultron. And, but that's all started with a very big mood correction in the Winter Soldier, and then we're going to get Civil War. You know, so we're not getting happy in the Marvel universe anymore this isn't happy-go-lucky marvel universe it's it's about to get very very serious and yeah there's still going to be some silly moments but it looks to be a lot more serious and to me i'm all for that because i think winter soldier was the best film that marvel's done and it's because it finally took itself seriously you know uh and they did it really well they still had some fun but they also were creating a story that had a message that went beyond the movies too. You know, they they were uh, using their movie to comment on the world we live in and and making it last with me. I still think about that film. I love Avengers, but I never think about it. It doesn't make me think. It just, or, you know, the same thing with Guardians of the Galaxy. It is super fun, but it's as fluffy as cotton candy and it melts in your mouth. And, and then it's gone. So, you know, that's something I think is really interesting with, with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because it makes it very hard to figure out what kind of show you're going to be. You know, Arrow has. is straight as an arrow. Forgive, forgive the puns. Uh, you know, Flash is. is. is big really and fast. <laughs> exactly. It you hit know. the ground
1: running. Yeah.
2: But, mm. you know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D started out in a different version of the Marvel universe and now we've moved into this more serious bit. They need to kind of figure out their equilibrium. I have one last question for you guys though that I really wanted to get to. Agent Carter is coming this winter during the hiatus break here for Agents of Shield and it it made me wonder this question. Should Shield have just been Agent Carter from the very beginning?
1: Mm, that's a that's actually a very good question because, again, um, you have to manage the expectations of your audience. And who knows? It could have been the right thing to do because it would have been really nice to bounce back and forth the timelines. When I saw, as I said before, when I saw the bunker and when I saw kind of like the the history and the origins of the very first S.H.I.E.L.D. secret base it just had all the trappings of all the great spy and noir flavor of the 19 well 1940s this time 1950s 1960s the hidden panels the 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 secret entrances uh these giant computers uh all of this antiquity that was used to save the world against the threats of the time i think that's fascinating i think that that's something that The modern TV audience probably isn't used to seeing. And then you can also bring the supernatural element in there. And that's where where you will get your modern effects that will, by and large, bring the audience up to speed with, okay, this is a supernatural thing, just like the movies, like the Tesseract with the Red Skull. But then you can also do the very antique analog tech with the, the guns of the time or the radios or all of that classic stuff that agent triplet had in his you know great grandfather's briefcase of ancient shield tech so but it you know it's it's something that it could have run the risk of just falling very flat too because it's something that didn't resonate with the movie so hard that's a very hard hard question to answer i think
0: i mean some of the things i'm hoping will come out of agent carter is i i want more in period in time Hydra agents you know I I felt they moved a little too fast towards we have particle weapons now you know and it's like okay we don't need you know all of this fanciful stuff I mean I want them to create a world where Hydra is still a threat even without the Red Skull it's a threat as an organization. It's a threat with its B-level leaders who are now stepping up to fill the power void. What is the power vacuum? What is the structure within HYDRA? You know, how are they planning to, you know, take over the world? And as as we're told in Winter Soldier, you know, their original plan was obviously the World War to, to take over the world by force. And then later they learn you must... You know, lull the world into acceptance, but there must have been an in between time. You know, what was their strategy in between? Did that result in the Cold War of the 60s? You know, I mean, that's the big thing that Marvel is saying is, you know, with especially The Winter Soldier, not the movie, but the man, you know, that events of our history have been influenced by Hydra and we just don't even know it. So I want to see those seeds sown. I want to see, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, I want to see, you know, agent Carter, you know, kicking butt and, and forming shield. I want to see Howard Stark. I want to, I loved, you know, old or not old young, but in the past, (laughs) you know, Howard Stark. And I think uh, uh, hopefully he'll be a a character in that. I'm not sure if he will be, but.
1: You know, you bring up a really really good point. I didn't think about it this way, but in that almost in that confession in the bunker when the whole plot line of why Hydra was revealed to Cap and to Black Widow. Yes, now we know exactly why Hydra was formed, how it was able to infiltrate Shield and all of those details, but very much like what we understood about uh the Clone Wars and We understood that Kenobi was a general and he did these great deeds, and his Luke's father did this, and Luke's father did that. We knew the broad strokes, but it never risked going back and telling all the details to the point where the audience would be like, Well, I already know this. You know, why do I need to see this? And it would have been a really interesting way to start telling real time stories about okay, S.H.I.E.L.D. probably helped the United States Navy capture the Enigma device for World War II in some way, or they found a way to harness a certain energy source that was able to protect against certain radioactive technology. Things that would parallel real-time dynamics are always interesting, make for interesting storytelling because sometimes you don't know the real history behind things as the way that Scotty may or may not have created transparent (laughs) aluminum. We don't know, but that's a neat detail because... In some way, you would have seen certain things evolve either organically or through divine intervention based on how the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. from Carter's time affected the history of the past and then how that dynamic affected what we saw in Winter Soldier and beyond and now in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. That would have been really cool to see.
0: When you can set up the whole Sins of the Father... Motif. I mean, you can have things slip through the cracks and villains that, you know, Agent Carter's S.H.I.E.L.D. don't catch and they will resurface in the future. Things that, you know, we wish had been dealt with, but now the next generation being Marvel's agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. will now have to shoulder that burden.
1: Well, they are touching on that with the obelisk, but because their storytelling right now is so out of pace, you're not really paying attention to that. As much as you're paying attention to now, Sky's father, and now what's going on with Ward, they opened up great with Agent Carter. That was a great cold opening, and then it just—it was a they tease. Just kind of, yeah, it was a tease, and it just fizzled. They've really kind of languished that point. But that's exactly what I think that they could have done if they did an Agents of Agent Carter, Agents of Shield story. That's a that's a great point.
2: Yeah, my my thought was this. Forget having Coulson and that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because you you have too much you have to live up to with the films and you're too hamstrung by the continuity. But if you move backward, if you show the beginning of S.H.I.E.L.D. with Haley Atwell and the rest of those great folks, which are fantastic. I mean, having Mark McDonough back on TV, I mean, from Band of Brothers, guy's freaking fantastic. Also, obviously hawk from star trek first contact you know this guy is a great actor i love him i would love to see him working with agent carter and in, in the and helping create those you know those commandos creating this this first group uh, that's going to be named shield not only that but like you guys are saying you have the ability to set everything up that's going to come into play with the film's but not hamstringing yourself again, you know. And I just, I think that they they made a tactical error, and it, it should Agent Carter should be agents of Shield. It shouldn't be Agent Carter. It should just be agents of Shield, and she's the lead character. Um, I think that would be fantastic, and it would have really created a, a, an awesome show with a female lead in a lot of the ways where everybody has just been crying out for. A Romanoff movie, you know, we want to see Black Widow in her own film. Why? Because she's freaking awesome. And Joss, I'm sorry, but your your reasoning for not having her have her own film um, because she just works so well with others is lame, bro. I mean, come on. Um, DC is about to beat you at your own game when, when it brings out its, its Wonder Woman film. And you should have done it a long time ago. You, you had the perfect character. People already love her. So this is where I think the, if Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. had just been Agent Carter in the lead in this beginning of S.H.I.E.L.D., you wouldn't have had any of these problems at the, in the first season. And man, this second season would probably be blowing us away. Because you could have kept the secret about HYDRA easily. You could have had that guy working with um, S.H.I.E.L.D. You could have never known he was a HYDRA agent until, you know, you reveal it in the film. Uh, and, and I just think it would have been really fantastic.
1: And at the same time, I think that the audience is really hungry for and, and is accepting for a very strong female lead in in this genre. And I think that her character is very well respected and very well accepted because... She was able to walk toe-to-toe, you know, step-for-step with Steve Rogers. Um, you know, she, she never backed down to any of the male her male contemporaries at the time. And I think that would have been a really nice dynamic bounce back to uh, the tragedy that she felt uh, she hasn't been able to get over. And that was Steve Rogers sacrificing himself uh, in the Antarctic. It's something that at this time, at that point of the storytelling, she still would have been deeply and uh, tragically hurt over. So that could have made for some very compelling storytelling.
0: And like I said, with the idea of pitching off Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. with a miniseries, the same thing basically happened with Agent Carter. The movie, you know, Captain America was the the big pitch for you've already established her, you know, you established the Howling Commandos. And li- I mean, just as a proof of concept, almost that cold opening that we had with them in the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. That was enough. I mean, we didn't need anything more than that. They just come walking in in their formation, and we know exactly what is going on, who they are, and that's great. And And so I'm just, I hope that. Agent Carter is just going to hit the ground running just like that, that we're going to see the next scene right after that one. And it's just going to keep going.
2: Well, you know, uh, the promo for the show says sometimes you, you need, you just need a woman to do a man's job. And uh, I think they're going to, they're going to prove that with agent Carter. I'm really looking forward to when we get a chance to talk about it. So Well, guys, uh, let's wrap up. Final thoughts on on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as we have it now and and where you maybe hope uh, the show will go. Norm?
1: I think Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a quality show up to a point. I think that they do a great job with conveying that they are part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but they also have some challenges ahead of them when it comes to finding their own unique and distinct voice. Why do I want to come back every week and watch this content? What am I going to get out of it? What do I want to tell my friends about? What type of discussions are they going to spur in my discussions of all things geekery with all of my friends like you fine folk? Why do I care? Because there are plenty of other shows out there that I care a lot about And there's only so much time in my week that I can indulge myself to catch up with this content. So unless it is bringing its A-game, it's going to languish on my DVR until I can finally get to it. And that's not where I want this show to be. I want this show to be at the top of my playlist, or at least in the top three or four. Not at the bottom of my playlist where I'm really deciding, well, do I want to watch this great episode that I've seen a million times again? Or do I want to watch a new Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode? I don't want to make that decision with this. I want this thing to be good. I want this thing to be as good as it it has the potential to be.
0: Yeah, I am definitely back on the agents of shield train again. I I strayed but a bit in season 1, but I I'm definitely enjoying it as a week to week basis. Uh I mean to to bring in Star Trek for a moment, I'm I'm hoping that when Star Trek returns to television, they look at shows like this as an example of look at how television has changed. Look at what you have to compete against. It's you can't just raise a tent pole in the middle of the television and say, "Oh, but it's Marvel's Agents of Shield." So you everyone's going to come a call in. No, you you still have to deliver every week. You know, there's so much competition nowadays for things to watch. Good stuff is out there now in in a plethora and we need a reason to tune in every week not just well it's between giant marvel movies so i guess i'll watch agents of shield so but i think they're on the right track i think the season two is is gonna end strong i'm hoping and we still have i mean we had a mid-season twist which you know that doesn't happen very often in 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 a franchise like this so i'm hoping for more twists more big reveals at the end of the season uh you not too much of a hiatus as we you know, are picking up great things with, with Agent Carter. So I'm still very optimistic for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm definitely still going to be tuning in, and, uh, and hopefully they'll get one of us to be a writer soon. I mean, let's just say. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, for me, you know, I think that this show can really be fixed by creating focus and pacing issues. So focus your season from the very beginning of the season and and, and especially right now uh, the show is is kind of divorced from the films in the sense that there there isn't anything they're having to be beholden to for a while do your own thing figure out what you want to be and be that and then find a way to work the films into that don't do it the other way around because if you do that you're you're really hurting what you can bring to the show and as we've talked about here, you know, I'm not trashing this show. I still watch it and I still want it to be good and there's characters that I really like here. Um, I, I just I think what they need to find a way to do is is fix those pacing issues and that focus of this, of the series, you know, so that each season has a focus, so you know where you're writing to i think there's some great tv shows out there that do that arrow being i think the prime example right now flash is following it its example um i think gotham's been a little bit more sluggish than flash and and arrow but it also seems to have some kind of focus like they're doing a season-long arc it seems like right now the season-long arc for gotham is the penguin so All of this together, you can do this great. I know, Marvel, you've got the ability to do this because you've given us some great films, some that I really, really like. You've given me Iron Man 1. You've given me Captain America, Winter Soldier, some fantastic movies that I put up on, you know, very high on my list of of superhero films. So I know you can do this on TV. I just hope that it will will continue to do that um, and, and just continue to get it better. One of the best things, as we talked about, It's on ABC. ABC owns Marvel. They're not getting rid of it anytime, So they have time to figure this out. I just hope it won't take you guys too much more time to really do that. Well, guys, it has been so much fun talking to you today about Marvel, but that's not the only thing we've been talking about here on Trek FM the past week. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed on the network.
1: Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. But instead of it being a human being prejudiced against Vulcans because the Romulans look like Vulcans, the Vulcans are taking advantage of themselves looking like Romulans in order to be racist against Romulans. Earl Grey.
0: So, wait, so he's got the two armrests, and the right one says little, you know, ensign, you know, Lamont, and a little arrow. <laughs> and then the one on the on the left says Lieutenant Commander Data, like a little arrow. Yep.
1: The orb. But when they pull away from that window with Jake and Kira, and they pull away from the station, it's like they're closing the book. They're they're actually closing the back cover of the book, and it's the end of the story. To the journey! How do you feel, Char, about the Borg Queen?
2: Oh boy.
0: I think the longer that I have watched Star Trek, the more I'm in the camp of, I don't know if I like her. The ready room.
2: They want you to come across on Archer's side where he can be mad at Trip. but I have a really hard time being Archer being mad at Trip because just think of if we still treated, you know, people of a different race like this. Mission Log,
0: a Ronberry Star Trek podcast.
2: That can honestly be the reason they brought Wesley because Wesley's got nothing else going for him there. I mean, yes, he can lead those kids, but that's just going to be by virtue of his age. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, he's 15 years old. Of course, all the other kids are going to look up to him, at least for a
0: while. And if he ends up being a total tool, then they won't.
1: Commentary. Trek stars. Yeah,
2: Yeah, The Learning Curve was never meant to be a season one finale. They were going to do the 37s and then UPN wanted to open season two with it. And that totally didn't work either.
1: Man, you got to You got to say UPN really ooped it up. Literary treks.
2: What Jerry Taylor talks about with Catherine Janeway's life is... It's kind of a series of her relationships. I mean she should be doing all sorts of fantastic things, right? And instead we're learning about her boyfriends.
1: Melodic Treks.
2: But there's a whole host of,
0: of people that appear in Star Trek. As I said, most of it is classic courses so for Dave, Vivaldi, Strauss, Troy um, Harry Kim the 602 Club
2: this really does have an impact on I think the entire comic book world Dark Knight Dark Knight Returns still have a huge impact in the way that people view Batman today
0: and that's what else is happening on Trek.fm
2: so check out these shows and find out what we've been talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and of course now beyond You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, if you're an Apple user, do us a favor and hit that subscribe button. It really helps us out when people are searching for the show. Listeners are able to find our shows better in the search engine when you hit that subscribe button. Also, same thing happens when you give us likes and reviews on there. So give us a star review and a rating and write a review. That's fantastic. We love that. And I'll even mention you on the show when you do like our friend Norm, who gave us a great rating last week. I just want to say thank you to Norm, who's also our associate producer on the show. So really appreciate that, Norm.
1: It's not a secret that how much I love this show. So. <laughs> that
2: is true. I, and it's so great to have you here. But you know what? If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone. And of course, you can download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. Guys, where can we find you online?
1: Norm? You can find me online on Twitter and Facebook. I'm not the, the greatest Twitter user in the world, but I'm trying to get better. Uh, that's Norman Lau, N-O-R-M-A-N-L-A-O. And uh, I am a huge supporter of Alec Peters and the Star Trek Axonar project. And you can find me most of the time on the Facebook Axonar fan group page. And as I mentioned before, I'm a, a proud sponsor of Trek FM through Patreon. And I'm an associate producer for Warp 5, The Orb, Star Trek Axanar, the official Axanar podcast, and, as Matthew mentioned before, The 602 Club, because I figured it was the best way to get free shots from Ruby.
2: (laughs) 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 And, And Darren, where can we find
0: you online? Well, if you want to talk to me, you can either join in the conversation on the Babel Conference, our Facebook group for the network, but I am also available on Twitter under username Doctor DrSciFi, a name that also goes to my currently hiatus podcast, The Doctor DrSciFi Show I'm hoping to bring back in the new year. And if you want to hear just how I can ratchet up to 11 about Star Trek, you can hear me each and every week on earl gray our trek fm show about star trek the next generation with my co-host daniel prue and philip gilfus
2: well thank you so much darren and norm that was great listeners you can get in contact with us at trek fm slash contact you can also send us a voicemail look in the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trek fm you can check us out on twitter at trek fm We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. And of course, you can check us out, as Darren mentioned, at the Babel Conference. That's B-A-B-E-L. Just type that in the search field at Facebook or go to our website at Trek.fm and click Discussion on the menu bar. And another way you can help the network and keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trek.fm, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, .com/trekfm you'll find all of our current goals and the different milestone contribution levels along with the great perks that we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team and more. We really appreciate any support that you can give to us and we'll hope that you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com/trekfm. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor, who helps bring the 602 Club and all of our shows to you each week. And our sponsor is Audible.com. Audible is a great way to read all the books that you've always wanted to read but you never thought you'd have time for. And as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial just to see how great Audible is. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we thank Audible for their support of the network and the 602 Club. And don't forget to check out Enterprise in Space, a project of the nonprofit National Space Society that will design and launch an 8-foot orbiter and return the craft to Earth. The NSS Enterprise orbiter will carry more than 100 student-designed science experiments into space, and you can help make that happen. Visit enterpriseinspace.org to get your seat on the mission. Now, you can find me online at MattRushing02 on Twitter there. So just hit me up, give me an at reply, let me know you're following me. Of course, you can also find me doing literary treks with Christopher Jones every week where we talk about the books and comics of Star Trek. And you can also find our other show, The Orb, where we talk about Deep Space Nine all the time. And then you can find me at my own personal website at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Thank you so much for listening, and y'all come back now, you hear?